In 61 AD, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi, wishing them grace and peace from God. These Christians brought Paul great joy. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. For the next four months, we are going through the book of Philippians, verse by verse. You will learn to live the Christian life with great courage and faith and joy. This book includes many verses that have given us all courage to face the struggles of life, such as, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and my God shall supply all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Prepare to be revived. Well, amen. So, uh, I want to just show, begin this morning with a, a painting. And this is a painting by Carl Theodoro von Pilati. He uh, has done a, a, a painting of Emperor Nero as he views the burning of Rome in 64 AD. The burning of Rome lasted for uh, several days and nights, and some say that Nero was responsible for the burning of the city, and that Nero accused the Christians of the arson. And I'm going to tell you, there was a great, great persecution that followed this burning of Rome, and you can imagine how angry everybody would have been, have been, and so the Christians were the scapegoats, but we all know that anybody who's a Christian doesn't do stuff like that. That's not what Christians do. It's not how we behave, but let's go back three years from this time, uh, 61 AD. The Apostle Paul is a prisoner of the Emperor Nero. He is in Rome, and uh, this is about 30 years after the time that Christ ascended into heaven. Paul writes 13 of the New Testament epistles, four of them from prison. And one of the books is, of course, the book to the Philippians. So we, uh, we're going to be going through Philippians, and you, I, I love the graphic. I'm so just so appreciative of Taryn who puts these things together for us, but it, it, it shows the Apostle Paul with, with, the, with the scriptures open and life coming from the pages. And if anybody's ever read the book of Philippians before, you know that this is a book that's full of joy and full of life and full of excitement. It's, a, it's really a thrilling book. So today we begin a brand new series in Philippians. And um, I want you to understand a few things. And, it, and I'm going to be, over the, over the course of this series, I'll be sharing you sharing with you a little more each week about the history of the writing of the book of Philippians and about the church in Philippi. By the way, Gloria and I, when we were in Greece, we visited Philippi many times with our guests, and, uh, and I'm going to see if I can find some of the old pictures of Philippi today. Uh, there's not much left of the, t of the city of Philippi today, but, but uh, there are a number of ruins. So Paul has written the book of Philippians about 10 years after his last visit there. And uh, some would call the book of Philippians the letter of joy because there are 10 or 11 verses that speak of joy and of rejoicing. And so some, some pastors think that we should preach Philippians to teach people how to be joyful. But in fact, joy, as most of us understand, 
is the fruit of a life in Christ. And so I felt that a, a more accurate way to describe the book of Philippians is with this uh, subline, living like Christ. And so this is really what we're going to learn in the book of Philippians. We're going to learn to live like Jesus. And um, I'm going to say that, that this, this book is about the mind of Christ. It's about the life of Christ. It's about Christ as our goal. It's about uh, Christ as our strength. And it's about the joy and the suffering uh, that, that Christians face like Christ did. Now, I know that for some people, you, you, you don't like the idea of talking about suffering, and you don't like the, the thought of, of, um, of struggling, but the fact of the matter is, is suffering is something that Jesus promised to every believer. Everybody knows that, right? So nobody's shocked by that. There's going to be times of persecution, there'll be times of suffering. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that God uses all things for our good. And the thing that we need to understand is that the thing that's good for us is that we're molded and shaped into the image of Christ. Does everybody understand that? That's what God wants for you more than anything else in this world. Some preachers will tell you that God wants you to be rich and God wants you to be happy all the time, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us clearly that what God wants is for us to be shaped and to be molded into the very image of Christ. And so the book of Philippians really helps us understand what that means. Now, uh, each Sunday, like I said, I'm going to be sharing with you a little bit more and more about the background of Philippi. But here's what I'd like you to do, uh, starting after the service, is I'd like you, for your homework, I'd like you to read the letter to the Philippians. It's only four chapters, and I'd like you to read it all in one one sitting. Can you do that? It's, it's, not, it's not onerous. It's not too difficult. It, the book is very interesting. It's, it's full of joy and rejoicing, and it should help uh, to, to uh, bring you along. So we're going to uh, read a bit from the book of Philippians right now, and if you've got your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, and I want to read to you the first 11 verses. And uh, Paul says, this letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now we're going to focus on those first two verses this morning, but I want to give you a bit more context here. Verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the gospel or the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Hallelujah. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the gospel. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more 
and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you just to slide down to verse 27. Uh, Paul says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Let's stop there. Uh, no, let me read the next verse, verse 20. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that, you are going to be that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Well, we'll stop there. And uh, there's a reason that I read that, and you'll see it in just a few moments. But let's, this morning, focus in on these first two verses. So the first thing I want you to recognize that this is a letter that is attributed to Paul and Timothy. Now, there is debate over whether or not Timothy uh, added his own thoughts or his own ideas to the letter. I think what we understand here is that because Timothy is with Paul and because Paul wants the Philippians to know that Timothy is thinking of them, uh, and perhaps Timothy is acting as his secretary, that's what I personally believe, Timothy is the one who's transcribing everything that Paul is saying, that this is the reason why Paul uh, includes Timothy with him in that first line. Now, I want you to see something really important. Uh, the apostle Paul is, is an apostle. He doesn't use the term here for some reason. And I believe that what he wants to do is he wants the, the people in Philippi to understand that God has his men in place to serve. And so really what he's doing, uh, Paul is putting Timothy in an equal place with him, uh, just, uh, just recognizing that, that Timothy is called by God and that Paul is training him and Paul is working with him and Paul is in fact exalting him as a leader. It's really quite a beautiful picture of, of the way it should be in, in every church. He goes on to call himself a servant of Christ. That word servant in Greek is the word doulos, which means slave. Now, a lot, of, a lot of people don't like that term, and in fact, a lot of translations do not use the term slave because it is, it is a term that is repugnant to us. We, we think of the slavery that has happened in, well, across the world, and the idea of a slave is just a repugnant idea. But the fact of the matter is, is that that is the word. And so rather than shying away from it and rather than using other words, euphemisms or, or, uh, or other words, we have to use the actual word, which is the word thulos or slave. And in fact, that's how the NLT puts it. The NLT uses that term slave. So it does the, the new revised New American Standard Bible. It uses that term slave. We need to understand... Um, First of all, before I say anything more about that, first of all, I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul is in Philippi, and he is a prisoner. And the, the scriptures tell us in Acts 
uh, Acts 28.30, that the Apostle Paul is actually paying his own way. He's paying for his refreshments, paying for his food. And uh, by the way, this is one of the reasons why he needs to have Timothy nearby. He needs Timothy to go and, and purchase things. He's under house arrest. He's being protected by the Praetorian Guard. And uh, the Apostle Paul is, is certainly in a, in a comfortable place, but he still is restricted in that he has no freedom. And he has to rely on, on the, the fellowship of believers. He's got to rely on Christians. He's got to rely on young Timothy to help him with these things. Timothy is his helper. Now, getting back to this idea of servant and slave, um, Paul wants the Philippians to understand something. He wants them to understand that he and Timothy have willingly, did you get this? Willingly given up their rights for the sake of Christ. Now, this is a foreign thing to us nowadays, right? Because everybody's fighting for their rights. And sadly, even Christians now have entered into that fight, into that argument where they're fighting for our rights. Can I just remind everybody of something today? As Christians, we're not people who fight for our rights. We're people who say, God, what is your will? Does this, does this make sense to everybody? When you're fighting for your rights, you're fighting for what you want to do. You're fighting for your will. You're saying, I want my will to be done. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear right off the start that what matters is not his will, not Timothy's will, but God's will. And so he says very plainly, very clearly, I am a slave of Christ. I am a slave to whatever God wants me to do. And by the way, this has got to be the attitude of every Christian, of every believer. So is that your attitude? Or are you one of those that's constantly fighting for your rights? What you need to understand is that Jesus Christ has called us to go into this world doing his will. We are his agents or his ambassadors. We do not act of our own accord. We act in the name of Jesus Christ. So Paul is telling the Corinthians, look at I am fulfilling the call to preach the gospel and to advance the kingdom of God. I do what God wants me to do. In fact, folks, listen to me. Later on, we discover that this is precisely why the apostle Paul is in chains. If he wasn't following Christ, if he wasn't a slave to Christ, then he wouldn't be in chains. He would be back in Israel uh, fighting the cause of the Pharisees. But he gives all that up for the sake of Christ. And we'll read more about that later on in the book of Philippians. In fact, all that he was before, he says, I count it all as dung, as garbage, as excrement, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ and of being a slave to Christ. Could you say this morning that this is the greatest thing in your life to be a slave of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't you understand what Christ has done for you? And we're gonna talk about that in a moment. Wouldn't you understand what Christ has done for you? Then you, along with Paul and Timothy, I hope will gladly say, I too am a slave of Jesus Christ. Now it's no accident that when we get to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, where Paul is describing the humility of Christ, it says this. Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Folks, being a slave of Christ Jesus means that we are following in the very steps of Christ himself, who also was a slave to God. Does this make sense to everybody this morning? 
So this is, the, this is true Christianity. The true Christianity says, it's not my will, but thine be done, O God. I do what you want me to do. I follow in the steps of Jesus Christ, who was a slave. Now, very important to understand that. And I know for some of you that might, that might be repugnant. It might be something that you're not comfortable with. And yet, you need to understand what it means to be a Christian. I want you to notice something else. It says uh, Paul addresses the people in Philippi as all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Uh, I want you to look around the room today. This is a room full of saints. You may not have, have realized that. And you, maybe you're sitting here today saying, Pastor Allen, you know, I think maybe everybody else might be a saint, but if you knew my personal life, if you know the struggles in my life, if you know my temptations, if you know the thoughts that go through my mind, then you would not call me a saint. If, if that's you this morning, then this sermon is especially for you. Because what you need to understand is that what makes you holy, what makes you a saint, and by the word, the, way, the word saint comes from the Latin sanctus, which simply means holy. In Greek, it's hagios, means holy. It means when you became a Christian, you were set apart for God as something that is holy or as someone who is holy. It's not something that you conferred upon yourself. It's something that God gave you. He gave you the holiness or the righteousness of Christ. Did you know that? You are righteous today, not because in your power, in your own strength, you made yourself good. You've made yourself righteous. No, no, no. You've put your faith in Christ, and Christ has made you righteous. Do you get that today? So when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in you. He doesn't see Judy's righteousness. Judy, I love you, but your righteousness will never be good enough. I'm sorry. It's just not good enough. But the beautiful thing is, Judy, I know you put your faith in Christ, and now you have his righteousness. That's what makes you holy. That is what makes you a saint. And that, my friends, is how God sees you. Now, just to give you a bit more understanding on this whole idea of, of being set apart for God as something or someone who's holy, all of the, all of the instruments in the tabernacle, we, we read about this in the Old Testament, all of it is purified and it's set apart as holy as unto God. Why? Because all the things, the candlestick, the, 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 the labor for washing in, the place of the altar, uh, all of this, the, the, the showbread, it was all there as something set apart for God, for God's purposes. And that is you and me. We're set apart for God's purposes. That's why we have to be slaves to Christ. Because we exist for God's purposes, not for our own purposes. So, folks, listen, when you became a Christian, you need to understand something. You, you, you don't do what you want to do. You do what God wants you to do. In fact, James even goes so far as to say, you don't even say what you're going to do tomorrow. You say, God willing, I will go here. God willing, I will do this. God willing, I'll get up in the morning. You see that? We are servants set apart for God's purposes. Now, I want to also uh, point out something here. Uh, he includes in this, in this greetings, he says, to the saints in Philippi and also the overseers and deacons. He singles out the overseers and the deacons. Overseer, by the way, is in fact uh, an elder. So he's saying, especially to the, to the elders and deacons, he's, he's bringing greetings to them. Why is that? Well, scholars believe it's because in this letter to the Philippians, uh, it is actually a thank you note. It's a thank you letter. 
Paul wants to say thank you to the Philippians for all of their kindness, for sending him resources and funds to help him while he's in prison, providing food for him, providing uh, writing materials so he can write his scrolls. All of this is made possible because, and especially because, the overseers and the deacons understood their responsibility. By the way, do you understand that Cross Church, the overseers here, the elders, understand the importance of doing missions? This is why we direct, instruct our staff to decorate the church like this, and why we, we have a banquet every year, because we have the business of doing what the Philippian overseers and deacons were doing. They're raising funds to advance the kingdom of God. So it's very important to understand that, and we'll talk about more of that uh, at a later time. What I want to do now is I want to look at verse 2, where it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very unique greeting. It was common in Paul's day for every letter to begin with the names of the people who are sending the letter, and then with a greeting. But what Paul's done, instead of saying greetings, which, uh, which, means, which in Greek is kerin, he says simply charis, which is a cognate of that word greeting. Grace, he changes it, he makes it unique. This is a uniquely Christian greeting. And I would recommend that if you are not in the habit of doing that, that maybe you start using this very expression, grace and peace to you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe begin your letters like that. When you answer the phone, grace and peace to you. Yeah, that may be going too far, I don't know. But you, you need to consider doing that. It's very Christian and very unique. So this term grace, and this is really, really important. This term grace is not used a lot in the Scripture. In the Old Testament, it's only used about 13 times. In the New Testament, it's used only 118 times. The Gospels have one record of the use of grace in the book of Luke, where it says that Jesus grew in, in stature and in the grace of God, and then we see it used three times in the Gospel of John. That's it for the Gospels. Of the 118 times that word grace is used, Paul is the one that uses it 85 times. It's really a brand new idea. In many respects, it's, Paul is now taking this term grace, and he's helping the believers understand what it means. So Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to see is that this is, in fact, what we would call a gospel greeting. It has to do with our salvation. Now watch this. There could be no peace with God until you have received the grace of God. Did you get that? You cannot have peace with God until you first receive the grace of God. And if you've received the grace of God, then you will indeed have peace with God. So Paul is reminding the Christians of the gospel, of the good news of their salvation. He's saying that your salvation is not dependent on you. He's saying that you're saved not because of what you did, not because of, of your goodness, not because of your righteousness. It's not because of anything you did, but because of what God has done. Remember, it's through, it's from, the, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ. Now, let's just quickly look at a definition of grace. And we need to understand this because we're going to hear a lot about this. 
God's fa- grace is God's favor toward the unworthy. Or another uh, uh, definition is God's benevolence on the undeserving. Now, I think probably everybody here at one time or another has felt unworthy, felt maybe undeserving, but what you need to understand is that is that that is always our state. That's always our condition. You say, but Pastor Allen, I've got really good at being a Christian. I'm, I'm really good at behaving and being obedient to God. So now I think I'm out of that category of the unworthy and out of that category of the undeserving. If you think that today, then again, this message is for you because you don't get what true, what true holiness is, what true righteousness is. We need God's grace because the fact is, is that as long as we're on this planet, as long as we, before we go to heaven, uh, we are in that category of the unworthy and the undeserving because we are prone to sin. We're prone to wander, prone to leave the Lord we love. This is what the scriptures tell us. So here's, here's this. Here's the, here's the rest of this definition. In God's grace, God is willing to forgive us and bless us despite the fact that we fall short of living righteously. Did everybody hear that today? Everybody look at me for a moment. God's grace is poured out on you. That is, his love for you, his blessing, his forgiveness is poured out on you despite the fact that you and I fall short of living righteously. Did you get that? I was talking to a pastor He'd been a Christian for many years. And he, he told me that he believes that the whole Bible is about obedience. And I politely disagreed. I said, no, that's not what the Scripture's about. It's about the redemption of humans and about the grace of God being poured out upon us. So here's what I know about everybody here in this room today. Not one of you here today is deserving or worthy of God's forgiveness or God's blessing. Not one of you, except me. No, (laughs) including me. None of us in this room today is worthy of God's forgiveness or God's blessing. And here's the thing, ready for this? You do not have the ability to earn God's favor or his blessing. Did you get that? You do not have the ability, you do not have the strength, you do not have the power, you do not have what it takes to win the favor or the blessing of God. You need to get this, because this is the gospel, this is the good news. You don't have what it takes, but there is one, there is one who is worthy, and his name is Jesus Christ. And my friends, this is why we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we receive Christ's righteousness. And when God looks at us, he sees his son. And when he sees his perfect son, his obedient son, his son who became a slave, he pours out his favor. He pours out his blessing upon us. He pours out his forgiveness upon us. Why? Because of his great love for his son and because of his son's great love for us. For God so loved the world that what he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, what, believes in him, who has faith in Christ, will not perish, but have everlasting life. You receive God's favor. You receive God's blessing. You receive God's 
forgiveness when you put your faith in Christ. Now, what, has anybody ever heard the term karma? Grace is the opposite of karma. Karma is all about getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Isn't that good? Karma is all about getting what you deserve, but grace is all about getting what you don't deserve. You need to understand this because this is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to fully understand Paul's letter to the Philippians, you need to understand that there is a, there's a battle raging at this time. And if you're not familiar with it, you, you might find it difficult to pick it up in the book of Philippians. But Paul is fighting with a group called the Judaizers. A Judaizer is somebody who believes he's a Christian or not, but he believes that the only way that you're going to be justified or made right with God, the only way you're going to have peace with God is through obedience to the law. Did you get that? In fact, the Apostle Paul writes a whole letter on the subject. The whole letter of Galatians is written because there's people who believe if I'm good enough and do all the right things, if I don't smoke and I don't dance and I don't wear makeup and I don't, and I, and I, and I don't drink and I don't, and I don't and I don't and I don't, if I don't, 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 don't do anything, then, then for sure I'm going to have God's blessing. These were the Judaizers. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws that the Jews had to keep. And the Judaizers came along to these brand new Christians and says, hold on a minute here. You, you can't just depend on your faith in Christ. You've got to make sure that you never break a law of God. And Paul says in the book of Galatians, he, he's, he says, who's bewitched you, you foolish people? How did you come to this place where you thought that you could earn God's favor by keeping the law? He says, being circumcised is not enough. So the Judaizers, they, they simply don't understand that peace with God, being right with God, is only possible by God's grace. Now, here's what Paul says, and I read this to you, Philippians 1.28. Paul says to the Philippians, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies who are the Judaizers. Don't be intimidated by this. Because if you're not intimidated, this will be a sign to them that you are going to be destroyed, that they are going to be destroyed, uh, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. And then in Philippians 3, 2 to 3, he says, look out for the dogs, the Judaizers. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. What's he saying there? Paul's saying that we who are Christians, we who have been born again, we don't put our confidence in ourselves. Does anybody here put confidence in yourself? It's a very foolish thing to do. Now, this is what our culture tells us to do. Our culture tells us, fake it till you make it. You put your best foot forward. That might work in the, in the business world, but it doesn't work in the courts of heaven. It doesn't work with God. We've put our confidence in Christ. That is where our confidence is. And the reason we can come confidently to the throne of grace is because what? We put our, we put our faith in Christ. Christ's work on the cross is what has given us a boldness to come to God with our prayer requests, with our needs. But look at this, 2,000 years later, and we still don't get it. 
We still don't get this. We still, we, we love, whatever it is, we love the law. We love to try to figure it out ourselves. We love to be the ones that try to take this on and do it ourselves. We're still struggling with the same issues, relying on ourselves rather than on God's grace. We think. We think that we can earn God's favor if, by being obedient. And I've watched so many Christians struggle, so many Christians who, who uh, just, they just they keep on trying and trying and trying, and they just can't seem to measure up. Folks, listen, you'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. And so here's what happens. And this is, I'm, gonna, I'm sharing you, with you now my experience. Ready? Here's my, here's my experience. It's, it's what you call the cycle. You, you become a Christian, you get saved, and then you sin. And because you've sinned, you hide from God. Now you're hiding from God. You're not talking to him. You're not praying. You're not going to church because you're hiding from God because you sinned. Then the next step is you backslide. And after over time, you understand that you're far from God and you're ready to come back to God, and you get saved again. And then, you, and then you sin again, and then you hide from God again, and then you backslide again, and then you get saved again, and then you get, and then just a cycle goes on and on and on. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? I can't tell you how many times I got saved when I was a child. I'm more saved than anybody in this room. I must have been at least 10 times or more. Every time there was a camp, got the kids together, and every time there was an altar call, I mean, I was the first one. I wanted to get saved. And a boys' brigade, I was the first one to go and get saved. I want to get saved. Pastor Barbie gave an altar call at, at the old Calvary Temple. I got to go forward to get saved. Folks, listen to me. You don't get saved over and over and over again. You get saved. You're born again once. And what keeps you, folks, is the grace of God. And if you sin, if you fall short... You run to Jesus. And the Bible says that he's waiting for you with open arms. This is, the, this is the parable of the prodigal son. He returns to his father. His father's not angry at him. His brother's angry with him, but not the father. The father's arms are open wide. Come back. Return to me. How many of us here today are depending on on our own ability to be righteous. I know that many of us, many of us here today, that, that's, that is the common problem, uh, especially among Pentecostals. Pentecostalism was born in what we call the holiness movement. And if I'm good enough, then I'll be righteous enough. The problem is, folks, with that, is that you can be good on the outside like the Pharisees, but Jesus called them what? A brood of vipers. Whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside. You got it all together on the outside. But inside, you're dead as dead can be. What we need, folks, is we need the grace that the Apostle Paul is talking about. We need to rely on God's ability and Christ's work at the cross, not on our own ability. So let's get that through our heads right now. Our salvation is by grace alone, through Christ alone, and by faith alone. This is, what, this is what the Reformers 
came to understand. This is what Martin Luther began to understand. He was trying to be good enough. He, was never, he would keep sinning. And this guy, he is a monk in a monastery. If there's not a better place to be a righteous person, I don't know where else there is. I mean, he is in a place that is devoted 100% of the time to serving God. And yet he recognized what a sinner he is. And so what does he do to deal with the sin in his heart? He creates for himself a whip, and it's called self-flagellation. And he's whipping himself. He's turned his back to a bloody mesh of, of, of flesh because he's got to punish himself for his own sin. And it was Martin Luther, when he began to understand the message of, of grace, especially in the book of Romans, it transformed his life because now he understood his salvation is based on God's grace, God's favor, God's forgiveness, God's blessing is according to God's grace, not according to his own ability to be a righteous person. Now, for some of you, this is just blowing your mind because this, this is not what you learned. This is not what you learned when you were growing up. And yet this is the message of the New Testament, of the whole Bible. We are saved by God's grace, and we are righteous by God's grace and by putting our faith in Christ. Folks, listen, it's putting your faith in Christ that makes you righteous. Imagine that, putting your, because what are you doing? You're saying, God, my righteousness is not good enough. I need somebody else's righteousness. Christ will do. This is the argument that Paul makes in the book of Romans. He says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 5.8, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Watch this, folks, watch. Christ didn't die for you because you were good. Did you get that? He died for you because you're a sinner. That's why you needed God's grace, not because you were good, but because of the opposite, because you were not good. Think about that. God's favor, his blessing is poured out on you, not because you're good, but because you're a sinner. Man, for years I thought I had to earn God's favor by being good enough. And the fact is, I can't be good enough. And some of you have tried to be good enough, and you found, I can't be good enough, so why bother? Why even try? Well, the good news of the gospel today, my friends, is that Christ is good enough. And you put your faith in him, and now you have his righteousness. You say, but Pastor Ellen, what if I'm a sinner? Does, does that mean that God's in favor of this? Of course it doesn't mean that. But for someone who's truly saved, you are disturbed by that. And this is what brings you to the place of repentance. And by the way, in case you don't know this, repentance is not a one-time event. This is, we live a life of repentance. Every day we repent and ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin. And every day we receive a fresh infusion of his grace and his power to serve Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus says. And Jesus answered the Pharisees, who were really angry at Christ because he was eating with sinners. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Folks, listen, if you're a sinner today, Jesus Christ came from heaven to find you. 
If you're a righteous person today, you think you're righteous all on your own. I'm a good enough person. I don't need religion. Religion's a crutch. Well, then Christ is not for you. But if you understand today how, fall, how far you fall short of the glory of God, then, folks, this is for you. And I know sometimes I hear people say, well, look, I need to keep working on myself because, you know, I, I just I, I, I want to get the blessings of God and I want to see God answer my prayers and uh, I need to be good enough. But here's what James says in James 1.5. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. You see, this is what true Christianity is, is that you're not relying on your own righteousness. You're relying on the righteousness of Christ. James says, if you need something from God, come and ask him, and he's going to give it to you. He's not going to say, oh, yeah, but I know, I know. I know that Joey Jane, she's, uh, she's not good enough. So, no, I'm not answering your prayer. No, that's not how Jesus works. That's not how God works. Without finding fault, he gives generously. He pours out his blessing upon us. Folks, this is the grace of God. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is ours through Christ. And here's the good news, folks, is that once you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, once you have turned to the great physician who has come to heal your sick and broken heart, once you've come to him in repentance, then you will receive his favor and his blessing. And you will have peace with God. You will have peace with God. Now, for those of you today who feel you've fallen short and you've, you've backslidden, you're far from God, you're hiding from God, I don't want to see God, I don't want to be around God's people, understand that God loves you. God loves you. Understand that he has not rejected you. You say, but Pastor Allen, I've, I've really fallen big time. God, God's grace is so much bigger than anything you can imagine. There's nothing that can keep us from the love of God. That's how the book of Romans, that eighth chapter of Roman, Romans ends. There's nothing that can, not, the angels can't keep you from God. The devil can't keep you from God. No height, no depth, n- no thickness. N- nothing can keep you from the love of God. That's how great is the grace of God. If you've sinned, fall on your knees and ask God to forgive you of your sin. And his promise us his grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. It's all that you need. It's all that I need. Outside of Christianity and Judaism, there's no other religion like ours. Did you know that? There's no religion that talks about the grace of God. This is what makes Christianity unique in a a world that's full of religions. Tens of thousands of different religions, and not one of them speaks of the grace of God. Why? Because every religion of the world is all about how you need to behave, about being good enough to receive whatever it is that you want from your God. But that's not Christianity. We put our faith not in ourselves, but in Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he pours out an abundance of grace upon you. And this is what gives you peace with God. Would you stand with me, please?
Father, we come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who became a slave for us, who died on the cross for our sins, and who has given us his righteousness. Father, some of us here today have struggled in our walk with you. Some of us have, have been so discouraged in our walk with, us, with you, Lord. Some of us feel like giving up. Some of us are hiding from you right now because we have failed. Father, help us to see that this, that, that this is wrong way to understand who you are. You are a God of love who's who has given us grace, a grace that is beyond anything that we can even comprehend, a grace that gives us the freedom to return to Jesus in repentance and receiving forgiveness of sin, not once a year, not once a month, not once a day, but every day, all day long, your grace is sufficient for us. So, Father, we thank you today that we have peace with God because... We have received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Help us today, Lord, to stop relying on ourselves. Forgive us, O God, for depending on our own ability to be good. And help us to understand today we need to rely on the goodness of God. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go run to Jesus.